Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. As a pastor, when I encounter the book of Acts, I'm almost like a kid, like I find myself wishing I could be part of the story. I don't know if you were like that as a kid where you read the comic books or you see, you know, see the hero on television. And, and I remember as a kid kind of, kind of playing Transformers. That was my generation when, when you know, we had, the, we had the Transformers and, you know, I want to be Optimus Prime or Bumblebee, like the original ones, not the movies that, uh, that they've, you know, they look real. This was back when it didn't look real. And as a pastor, I look at the book of Acts and I think, man, these are my heroes today. Like if I could play make-believe, you know, I want to I play make-believe here. Like I'm Peter and somebody else can be John and, and you know, I, I, I want to be part of the story. I want to be part of the adventure. Can you imagine that being there and God using you as an instrument in some of these just astonishing signs that take place here? Um, even just to be close to this, to, to just be a bystander and watch this all unfold in Acts chapter 3 would be absolutely remarkable. I was trying to think, has, has there ever been a time in, in 20 years of being a pastor that, that I've been close to something like this? And, and I thought there was, there was that one time that, um, that God allowed me to be part of an exorcism. Sort of. No head spun around, no foaming at the mouth or anything like that. I, let, me, let me tell you the story. I was sitting in my office one day and the phone rang and I... I I tend to listen to the, you know, as a pastor, you kind of get nervous when the phone rings because you just, you, you don't know. I mean, nobody ever calls and says, Pastor, I just, uh, I just won the lottery and I want to tithe 20% to the church. Those phone calls don't happen. Um, you know, the phone call usually comes in and there's some need, you know, I need, um, you know, I, I need somebody's address or, or I need to reserve the church for an event or there's those kind of calls. Then there's the, the calls of, you know, so-and-so's sick or so-and-so's in the hospital and, of course, those things happen. Then we get the benevolence calls, right? Uh, do y'all help with paying cell phone bills or paying my cable bill or <laughs> those kind of things? Uh, but every once in a while, while the phone rings and, and the other side of the, the phone is, is a story that's waiting to be told. And I, I, I listened to this, to our side of the conversation one day, and, and, um, and I could tell immediately the secretary was in the midst of a very intriguing conversation. A few moments later, she stuck her head in my office and she asked me to pick up the phone. She said there was a lady on the other side who was worried that her mother was possessed by a demon and needed to talk with a pastor, to which I replied, does she need a priest or a pastor, which that, that matters. And so I immediately refreshed my memory about the class I took in seminary about demon exorcism. Uh, I picked up the phone, and the lady told me how her mother was convinced that she was demon-possessed because she could actually hear the demon in her ears. Sometimes the demon was screeching in her ears. Sometimes the demon was roaring in her ears. Sometimes she could even make out different voices that the demon was talking to her in. And I could just tell this woman was in a great deal of despair, and she didn't live too far away, and so I thought, you know, worst case scenario, I can go over and try to encourage this person and, and you know, maybe be a gospel witness to them. We'll see. And so I said I'd come over and visit in just a little bit, but I had to give us some time because I had to find somebody to go with me because you don't go do demon exorcisms alone, right? And so, uh, and believe it or not, there's not a long list of pastors that are ready to go exorcise demons. And so, um, so I called my associational missionary, 
And I, he, was a, he was a missionary in Germany for, for a long, long time. And so I, I said, I said, you ever exercise any demons while you were in Germany? And he said, all the time. I said, uh, I said, I need you to come with me. I said, this is an interesting situation. I said, I don't know, what the, I don't know what's going on, but I said, I don't want to go over there alone. You know, it's, I don't know what's happening. And so we got there, we got parked, and as soon as you got out of the car, you could hear the television from inside the house. Like in the driveway, you could hear the television, and you, you couldn't really tell what it was. It sounded like some sort of daytime talk show or soap opera or something like that. So we walked in the room. The daughter came, greeted us at the door. She was so thankful we were there. We walked in the room, and there was the mom sitting in her recliner in front of the television. I mean, just, as, just from, from here to, to the television. I mean, she was right on top of the television, and this thing was blaring. Uh, to the point that, that I couldn't carry on a conversation with the daughter at the normal level conversational tone. And so I had to talk loud to speak over the television. And so uh, she said, you know, well, you just try to talk to her and see what she says. And so I get down, and, and I'd learned, you know, when you're dealing with somebody who's, who's a little more advanced in years, that it's always wise to go ahead and just talk a little louder than normal. Um, the likelihood is, is that they're not going to be offended if you're talking louder, and it may end up being beneficial. So I started talking to this woman, and she was looking at me, and what I was saying was not falling on, uh, on receptive ears. That was like, she's trying to understand what I'm saying. The television's still playing, by the way, um, which was interesting. And the daughter said, she's really hard of hearing. You'll have to talk really loud. So I asked her about the demon in her head. I said, what is the demon saying to you? And she said, it sounds like it was screaming at her. And she described the sound like a high-pitched squeal. Now, I'm not a doctor. And I didn't even stay at a Holiday Inn Express the night before. But it occurred to me what was going on. And I turned around and asked the daughter, I said, have you ever taken your mom to get her hearing checked? She said, no, we've never done that. We just assumed it was a demon. Needless to say, no demons were exercised that day, and hopefully the doctor was able to get the demon of tinnitus taken care of that was driving this poor woman crazy to get the squealing in her ears to stop. You know, over the last 20 years, I've found that the work, this work has put me into the presence of some very interesting people. She's probably one of the most interesting um, and apparently it was Jerry Springer that was speaking to her. That's the voice she could hear was the Jerry Springer show. Um, you know, our experience there does at least match the book of Acts in this. We will find that faithfulness to the work and to the word of the gospel will certainly make us many friends. It may also make us a few enemies along the way. If you've got your Bible open to Acts chapter 3 for a very familiar story. Acts chapter 3. We're going to deal with the whole chapter, but I just want to read the first 10 verses today uh, out loud here. Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. If you're able, I invite you to stand with me as we read these words. Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. 
But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. God, I thank you for this story. I pray, Father, that we would understand the significance of what's taking place here and that we would see this as more than just a, just a story. It's, um, there's truth here for us today. God bless this uh, time and together in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, we have left the second chapter of the book of Acts, and we find something going on here that the church in the book of Acts never saw itself as an exclusive club. I mean, what a reputation this little church has created for itself. I mean, thousands of people, they've made quite a splash in the pan. They've gone from, you know, we, there's lots of studies about how quickly churches grow today and churches that start with 10 or 15 and then grow to hundreds or thousands over the course of a, just a matter of short amount of time. This church is by far the fastest growing church in history. It's gone from just 120 people to over 3,000 in, in just, a, just a moment. And we find that this church is developing a, a reputation in its community. In the book of Acts, the second chapter, the 47th verse, we're told that the church had favor with all the people, and the Lord added daily to their number. You know, the reputation of a church is an important metric of how healthy a church is. When we look at this infant church, they got a ton of new converts. They're trying to get their bearings straight, trying to figure out who their friends and enemies are. Yet this whole time, they're developing favor with the people. I have to admit, if this had happened, it'd be really easy to kind of shut the doors for a little while to get things figured out, wouldn't it? I mean, if, if we suddenly had 500 people in here on a Sunday, um, y'all would understand if we took a 15-minute pause before the start of the worship service to kind of figure out what we're going to do, right? I mean, let's take a break, let's shut the doors, let's figure out how we're going to handle uh, a sudden influx of this. We'd think, well, what church split down the road? That's what we would, first thing we'd think, sadly. But, I mean, we'd understand, right, if there was this sudden growth in the church and needing to, needing to kind of get their, their bearings. But we pick up in chapter 3, and we find that the key leaders in the church, they're not holed up in their makeshift offices keeping track of budgets and baptisms. Instead, what we find is they're, they're out and about. They're out at the temple for prayer, and this is the busiest time of the day for prayer. They're out in the community. They're bearing witness for Jesus because in spite of the fact that the church has grown, well, they're not done yet because they weren't called to reach a number. They were called to reach the nations. Don't forget that. Sometimes I think we lose track of that. We think we get a number. We fill our sanctuary, and we're satisfied. God didn't call us to reach a number. He called us to reach the nations. Don't forget that. A lot has changed in the last 2,000 years, but the simple function of the church has not changed. The Great Commission says, go and make, not sit and wait. And so we see the disciples are going and making. They're in the temple. They're preaching. They're, they're bearing witness to the truth about Jesus wherever their life takes them. And so we understand the church was never intended to be an exclusive club. John 3.16 uses the word whosoever, which means there's no limitations on who can be saved and join the family. Do we believe that? 
No limitations. It's whosoever believes. Whosoever trusts Jesus. It's whosoever. So there are no limitations. It's not limited by, by any metric that we can put in place. The only thing we measure is repentance and faith in Jesus. That's the only thing we look for to join the family of God. We don't get to pick and choose who is part of that whosoever. Sometimes we hear a very toxic word to, that's used to describe the church, and that word is, is country club. A uh, country club is a place you go join because you are with people who are just like you, and it's an exclusive gathering. It's not just a, it's not just a, a potluck and the whole community shows up. That's a word that the church gets tagged with sometimes. We don't see that here in the book of Acts. When we look at this beggar who is healed here in chapter 3, let's be sure that we can clearly define his situation. He is lame. He is, um, in verse 7, Luke uses very specific medical terms that aren't used anywhere else in, in, that we can find. And so he talks about feet and ankles, and, and that's, those are medical terms that Luke is choosing because Luke's a doctor, and so Luke is able to reflect on the, spe the specifics of what's taking place here. But what this implies to us is that there is some sort of congenital deformity that has rendered him unable to walk from the time he was born. And so this guy who is grown up, we're told later on in chapter 4 that he's over 40 years old. So he's literally grown up and he has had to perfect the art of begging, of being positioned strategically. And we're told that he has strategically placed himself at the beautiful gate at the busiest time of the day. The Jewish historian by the name of Josephus described the location. He said the beautiful gate was 50 cubits high and 40 cubits wide. It was overlaid with Corinthian bronze and was such a work of art that it far exceeded in value even the gates that were plated with silver set in gold. And so in spite of the fact that it wasn't made of gold, it was, it was a priceless work of art. It's almost going into a... Um, like going up the steps to the, to the Lincoln Memorial there in Washington, if you've ever been there. I mean, you can't walk up to that big statue of Lincoln sitting there on the throne and not feel this sense of, you know, I'm, I'm in a place that has some significance to it. I mean, just the, the architecture and the scale of, of that building, just, just you can't approach that without a, a sense of awe and wonder at what you're seeing. And that's what this gate is, is this incredible imposing structure. And right there in the middle of it is this guy who's been lame from birth. And he has positioned himself to receive alms by those who were going to worship. And we're tempted to say, that poor guy, don't, don't feel too sorry for him. Because he's not hurting for himself financially. I once visited a guy in jail who was arrested for panhandling on the side of the road down in Cobb County. And I asked him, I, you know, he was strung out on heroin. I said, why in the world don't you just get a real job? Instead of doing this, he's smart as could be. Why don't you get a job instead of panhandling here for money on the side of the road? He said he made too much money standing on the side of the road. Made too much money panhandling to go get a real job. It's not unlikely to think that this beggar was making quite a lot of money positioned here at the beautiful gate receiving alms from people as they were coming in for worship. And the likelihood is, is whoever carried him was also profiting pretty well off of his disability. The point is that this guy was lame. No doubt that he was lame, he was crippled, he had some sort of congenital defect, but I kind of read this, I think he may have been on the shady side too, right? I mean, you, you kind of got to think that, that there, there may have been some, some stuff going on here beyond just his, his financial needs. And now we look at this, we look at this guy who's got these congenital defects, he's a little shady, he's, he's, he's benefiting heavily off of people's uh, generosity. We don't want this guy in the church, right? 
wrong. You see, the thing is, it's never intended to be a club. It's never intended to be an exclusive organization. The only exclusivity is faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you think about how you would respond, is your mindset that the church is a, is a club or is the church something more than that? Here's a simple test. How would you respond if someone came in this morning and sat down next to you if they smelled bad? If their skin color was different from yours? If you saw them get out of their car and it had a Bernie or a Biden bumper sticker and they came in and sat down next to you, are you tempted to get up and move or would you welcome them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you are willing to welcome them and make sure that they feel just as home as the next person, then you're well on your way to treating this like the church. But if you'd be tempted to get up and move, then maybe it's more of Chattanooga Valley Baptist Country Club than Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. You see, the church is never expected to be an exclusive club. The church in Acts never saw itself as an exclusive club. Instead, what the church did do is they recognized that the greatest gift that they had for the world is the gospel. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 in that chapter 3 here says, Peter said, I don't have gold or silver, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. He doesn't directly share the gospel with a beggar. You know, he doesn't look at the beggar and say, Jesus died for your sins, he rose again. He doesn't directly share the gospel with this beggar. But instead, over in verse 11, he starts preaching. You see, what happened is this good work that took place with this beggar became a platform that led to sharing the gospel with a much broader audience. The healing that took place here gave Peter the opportunity to start preaching again. He'd already preached once before and saw quite a response. He gets to preach again. And so here he is in the middle of the temple now. There's a huge crowd of people who were there for prayer, and Peter has, has been able to participate in this incredible miracle. Everybody sees the guy who's been lame from birth. He's dancing around and leaping. He's like a charismatic on fire for the Lord. This is an incredible thing that's taking place. Everybody says, Peter, what you got to say about this? Well, he did have something to say. Now, they could have given the guy money. They could have given him something to eat. But instead, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, they realized that here was an opportunity to accomplish so much more. The healing was not the end of the story. It was the gospel that followed. We need to be careful here. It's very easy for the church to get off track today. The church is off track in so many regards when it comes to this. You, we can do a lot of good things. But if we're not careful, we can do good things and miss the main thing. We can do good things on a regular basis, but if we don't do the main thing, then our good things don't amount to much. You see, the main thing is the gospel. The main thing is not the good things. The main thing is the gospel that we are called to share, we are called to proclaim, we are called to bear witness to. Yesterday, our church did some very good things, but I want to be very clear here, good things are no substitute for the main thing. The good thing is healing this man. The main thing is the platform that that healing led to sharing the gospel. The, it was great that this man was healed. His life was forever changed. But let's not forget the fact that as a result of that man's life being changed, the platform that that man had, he now had the opportunity to see thousands of other people's eternity be changed. You see the difference? Don't want to negate the man's healing at all, but the man's healing led to something much greater. You see, the good things that we work to do, they are designed to give us a platform so that we can have conversations about the main thing. Listen to how Peter addresses this in Acts chapter 3, verse 12. 
When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? In other words, don't look at us. We didn't do this. It's not our power. It's not our holiness. It's not our righteousness that made him walk. He goes on, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. It's Jesus. It's always Jesus. It's always the gospel. Peter did not take credit for this at all. Peter didn't say, you know, I saw him sitting there and just my heart broke for him. And I thought, man, he was the one that needed healed today. Peter doesn't do that at all. Instead, Peter says, you guys notice him? If you notice him, you notice in Jesus because we didn't do this. This Jesus, you paid attention to him a while ago because you crucified him, but God glorified him, and now it's through faith in Jesus that this man was made whole, and it's through faith in Jesus that you people can find, can find salvation. Peter had a platform because of the good that he had done. You see, if you've got a heart for the hungry and the heartbroken, that's good because God has given you a gift of compassion. But the gift of compassion is not the end. You see, the answer to the question must always be the same. Why'd you feed those hungry people? Why'd you make it a point that those hungry people had food in their bellies? The answer is the same as Peter's. By faith in the name of Jesus, he has made these people full whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given these people full bellies in the presence of you all. That's why we do those sorts of ministries. That's why Christians have long taken steps to feed hungry people because it is in the feeding of those hungry people that we can say, we didn't do this, Jesus did. We didn't do this, Jesus did. We didn't take care of this, Jesus did. We were simply the means. We were simply the avenue through which Christ worked. Why'd you help that widow? By faith in the name of Jesus, he met the need of this widow. You see and you know her. And the faith that is through Jesus has loved this widow in the presence of you all. If somebody says, why'd y'all go clean up that widow's burnt trailer yesterday? Because of Jesus. Not because we just love cleaning up burnt trailers but because of Jesus. Why'd y'all build a wheelchair ramp on that person's house yesterday? Because of Jesus. Not because we just love building things, but we love Jesus. And that is an avenue towards the end. Why'd you feed the people in that, in that trailer park? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. That's why we do it. Because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ compels us. If you're only worried about meeting physical and emotional needs, man, there's a lot of people who are worried about that. You're only really worried about social justice. And man, that's all over the news today. But the church has called us to meet spiritual needs. Our greatest concern, I don't mean this to sound harsh, it's not full bellies. Our greatest concern is full hearts. And full bellies are an avenue towards full hearts. Our greatest concern is not homelessness. Our greatest concern is that people have a home in heaven and making sure that homeless folks have somewhere to sleep at night is a way that we can make sure that their heart is ready for heaven. 
You see, there's a step beyond just the need. And the church is called to take the next step. There's all kinds of organizations out there that, are, that, that meet physical needs. There's all kinds of organizations out there that take care of homelessness and poverty. And, and man, how much money is spent trying to mitigate these things on a regular basis. But the church is the only organization that said, you know, we care about the roof over your head, but we care more about your heart. That's our job. Nobody else will do it. That's the church's call to meet those needs. And as a consequence, man, the gospel witness of our church, it needs, to have some, it needs to have some consequences. When we share the gospel, when we point out the good news of Jesus to our community, there's some things that ought to happen. We see here, healing ought to take place. Healing ought to take place. Now, we don't see God heal in the miraculous way like we do in the pages of Scripture. Why that is, I don't know. That's something that the mind of God has that he has not revealed to us in this day and time. We, of course, see physical healing, and we all probably have stories and examples of people that we've heard of or people that we know who've had a, a true physical miraculous healing, not to deny that at all. But this single physical healing, we need to understand, is a gateway to a much greater spiritual healing. Over in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, we see that this single miraculous healing opened the door to the gospel, which we're told resulted in thousands of more believers that happened that day. This single act of physical healing led to the spiritual healing of thousands of more people. We can see why this physical healing mattered. All those folks who were there that day heard the gospel. Their ears were opened because of the work that was done through Peter and John. You see, when the church does the gospel right, using whatever means are at her disposal, then we know that healing is a consequence. But this only happens if we are using our means for gospel sharing. We can do all the quote-unquote outreach in the world, but we cannot expect people to be saved if we're not sharing the gospel as part of our outreach. We have to be sharing the gospel. That doesn't mean we go bludgeoning people with a Bible. It doesn't mean that we stand in the yard with megaphones screaming the Romans road at them, hoping they'll hear it. But it does mean that, that we have to use wisdom and discretion and discernment to share the gospel as part of our work and find out and figure out the best way to do it. Another consequence of this, this work is, is joy. It's joy. When the, when the church is doing good in its community, people are being transformed, that's going to translate into joy every single time. The only people that are bothered when the church does this sort of work are those who are enemies to the gospel. There, there was no denying what had transpired there that day at the beautiful gate. There was no way that this was a charade. This man had been lame his whole life. There was no way that this guy, who was more than 40 years old, who had been this way for his entire life, would suddenly be able to overcome his problem. Like he just figured out he was walking wrong or something. Oh, I was doing this wrong all along. Let me try the right way. It's not what happened. Think about your own life. Think about times that you've had surgery, like knee surgery or, or hip surgery. Maybe you've broken an ankle. How long does it take to regain mobility and strength? A couple years ago, I had my appendix taken out, and we were... Um, I made a, it was right at prom time, and my son was uh, doing the picture thing, and, and, um, and the car that he was taking to, to prom, I had the keys in my pocket, 
and it was one of those cars that you could crank it and it didn't actually have a key it just had a button that you pushed and as long as the key was close by the car would run and so he gets in the car to drive to prom and I feel in my pocket and the key is in my pocket and the car is driving away with my son and his prom date and in my brain I thought oh no (laughs) and so I immediately do what any of us would have done I took off running to give him the keys two days after having my appendix taken out Whew. that was rough. Uh, and and it, it took about five steps before I realized what I, had, what I was in the process of doing. This guy had been lame his whole life. And he suddenly, instantly, immediately is leaping and jumping and running and standing and walking. This is cause for great joy. This guy that was broken was suddenly whole. Everybody knew about it. This was a big deal. People were talking about it. I want us as a church to be that in our community. I want people to hear about what Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church is doing, and I want people to be talking about it and saying, did you see what they were doing? Did you hear what they did? Did you hear about the time they fed those people, the time they cleaned up that mess, the time that they were there? I want us to be that people where people are excited and can't help but talk about it. Imagine a church where lives are changed on a regular basis, where addictions are broken, where marriages are saved. I had a friend who planted a church in a pretty rough town, known for its drug problems. He got together with his core team. He had a team of just a few folks, and they met, and they had a really interesting strategy for church growth. He said, let's think about the worst people in town and make a list. So they did that. They met, and they prayed through it, and they came up with a list of the, of the top ten just worst people in town. And they wrote them all down, and they said, you know what? We're going to start praying for these people, and we're going to make these our, our targets. Well, that's an interesting way to grow a church. And there was a guy at the top of the list whose name was, was TJ. And they started praying for these folks and started going after them. My, my pastor friend was a bivocational. He was a bail bondsman. On the other, that was what he did on the, the rest of his job. So, so he dealt with this crew on a pretty regular basis. And they started praying for these guys and going after them. And and there was TJ at the top of the list. Guess what started happening when they started praying for these folks and being intentional and going after them? People on that list started getting saved. And lo and behold, the guy at the top of the list, drugs, addictions, bad news all around. Guess what he's doing today? I saw on Facebook he's on a mission trip in Mississippi. He'll come back and pastor his church that he's been pastoring for the past several years. That's what the gospel does. It changes people's lives. And I'll tell you, when TJ got saved, the only people who were upset about that were the drug dealers. Joy. Wonder. I love the word wonder. Wonder comes from from the root word. I wonder how that happened, right? Wonder causes people to pay close attention. You see something you can't explain, you wonder. You study that, you think about it. Wonder is what happens when you encounter something bigger than you are. If you've ever stood on the rim of the Grand Canyon, you've experienced wonder. Or you stood at the base of a giant redwood tree, you've experienced wonder. Or you stood at the the foot of a glacier, you've experienced wonder. Wonder. 
Wonder is what happens when a guy like TJ throws away the drugs, follows Jesus, and a few years later becomes a pastor. You wonder how that happened, and the only explanation is because of a good God and a powerful God. People were filled with wonder. Man, I want to see Jesus change lives. But the wonder of changed lives, it has some consequences. Changed lives means, means work. Don't forget that spiritual church nursery that has to be filled up. We've got to be ready because when that happens, we've got to embrace the challenges that it brings. When my friend's church, church actually started seeing people on that list get saved, you know what happened? They weren't attracting choir boys. People on that list started getting saved. The folks who were showing up to church were, uh, they didn't look like your typical Southern Baptist, I'll say that. And then folks started showing up. Why? Because their friend got saved. Their friend got saved and they couldn't believe it. They were filled with wonder. How'd that guy who was, who was strung out on drugs, how did his life get changed? Why is he no longer doing drugs? Why is he sharing the gospel with us? They came to church to find out what was going on, and guess what? This little church in Meriwether County became one of the leading baptizing churches in the state of Georgia. It also means that the enemies of the cross will come out in full force. You see, the gospel witness of the church not only shows us who our friends are, it also produces enemies. This kind of Holy Ghost ruckus doesn't take long to gain the attention of those who were not quite so excited. In the book of Acts, in the fourth chapter, we find out that there's some, uh, there's some people who are irritated. Acts chapter 4, verse 1 says, As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. These are people sitting in the back with their arms crossed, grumpy. In verse 2, they were greatly annoyed. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. It didn't take long at all for people to show up who were not happy about what was taking place there. Isn't it interesting? They were more content with this lame beggar sitting at the gate than they were to have him leaping and jumping and shouting hallelujah in their midst. Instead of celebrating a man's life who had been changed, they were irritated that they were preaching a false doctrine according to them because they believed in the resurrection and the Sadducees did not. Yesterday we were at that burned out house and um, we were working and around the back side everything had kind of collapsed on itself and we were trying to kind of unstack some things and it didn't take any longer than, than just a couple minutes before we started unstacking some things, and guess what happened? A bunch of wasps. You know, they, they came out. They were, they, were, they were not happy with us that we had disturbed their home. And so they were flying around. That whole backside was kind of off limits for a while while, while, they were, uh, while they were upset with us. We stirred them up because they had their thing. They had their place. They had, their, they had everything just like they liked it, and we came along and messed it all up. It's what the gospel does. The gospel comes along and it messes up the status quo. It disrupts the drug dealer's supply chain. It disrupts the marriage counselor's business. It disrupts those things. 
You hear more and more people taking offense to what they call gay conversion therapy. You've heard this in the news where different government entities and agencies are, are trying to get rid of funding for any counseling organization or doctor that, that believes in gay conversion therapy. I don't know that there's any such thing as gay conversion therapy. Write this down. Take it in context because it matters. Because what I call gay conversion therapy is called the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what saves the homosexual from his sin is the same thing that saves the adulterer from his sin and the same thing that saves a thief from his sin and the same thing that saves the proud man from his sin and the same thing that saves a murderer from his sin. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if somebody says, I don't want to be a thief anymore and lays that down and says, I want to follow Jesus. You know what we call that? We call that thief conversion therapy, also known as the gospel. And so if, if we're guilty of preaching conversion therapy, that's because I was transformed by conversion therapy. Because I was a sinner bound for hell, and Jesus intervened in my life in a radical way and converted me from lostness into being a child of the King. So I'm a beneficiary of conversion therapy. And if you're a Christian today, you are as well. Because the gospel, what it does is it takes somebody to turn their back on their wicked lifestyle and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And every single time somebody gives their life to Jesus, that's exactly what we're looking for. It's really easy to point out the bad guys in this story, right? The bad guys are those Sadducees, those religious leaders who came out of the woodworks. They're the wasps who came out because they, their, their little thing got disturbed. It's easy to pick out the bad guys. But we better make sure that we work to identify the bad guys that live in our own hearts. Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 it's kind of a list of the dejected and disenfranchised. It's in that passage where Jesus says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And I was thinking about that, that list. And it occurred to me that, that that list has bearing even if we're talking about people who aren't hungry and thirsty. You think about kind of categorizing these things. The hungry and thirsty, it's the poor and the downtrodden. You know, if you're really hungry today, that's, that, that, that's a sign of, of, your, of your social situation. The, the poor and the downtrodden. Jesus said you were, uh, talked about the stranger. Who's the stranger? That's the person with no friends, the newcomer, that guy who may be awkward in social situations. Those are the strangers. What about the naked? I mean, we see that. The guy streaking on the ball field, or we hear about some, somebody who got drunk or got high and, you know, did something foolish, but... I was really thinking about that, that the only person that would fall into that category would be the person who, who struggles with severe psychological issues, mental health issues, things like that. The sick, we know who those are. The prisoner, who's the prisoner? The prisoner is somebody whose past life is suspect. They have some, some, some things on their record. And what Jesus says in Matthew 25 is that every time we care for these people, it's as if we're caring for Jesus. And so we look at these categories, the, the poor and the downtrodden, the one with no friends, the, the person who's got some mental health issues, that person who's been sick, or, or that person whose past life is questionable. You know what? They're no different than the, the rich, 
no different than the powerful, no different than the socially connected. Because at the end of the day, what do they need? They need Jesus. They need Jesus. And God has called you and I to be the messengers of God's grace to people who need Jesus. And so may we never be afraid to reach out our hand to the one in need or even the one who can't identify that they have any needs and make sure that we do our part to point them to Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clear, the clear challenge it is for us today. Lord, I, I can't help but wonder how many times I've had the opportunity to, to look at that, that, that beggar, the one who's the equivalent of that beggar. They want a couple of bucks, but what they really need is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God, may we have wisdom and discernment to know how to care for those in our midst who have those needs. And Lord, may we not lose track of what matters. Lord, sometimes I think, God, we're all guilty of, of trying to do good and forgetting to do gospel. We're, we're guilty of, of going on mission trips and, and feeding the poor and so many good things. But the whole time we neglect to do the main thing. So, God, the Scripture tells us that it's, a, that it's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. The things we do are simply platforms to get us to the gospel. And so, Lord, help us know what to do and what not to do. And whatever it is that you call us to do, may we use those platforms to always point people back to Jesus. God, I thank you for those gathered here today. I thank you, Father, for a full house, for a full kids' church. And I pray, God, that if there's any here today who need to follow Jesus, need to turn from their life and turn to Christ, that today would be a day they would recognize that they need healing, not physically, but spiritually. Draw them to yourself today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.